Welcome again to those of you watching from your homes or offices or various devices, and we're so glad to have you here in physical presence here with us tonight. It makes such a difference, so thank you. Thanks for coming. Tonight's short gospel reading, which you just heard me read, was from John, and it's often described in this unhelpful language as, quote, an unattached discourse of Jesus used as a summary proclamation. I mean, what does that make sense? <laughs> what is that saying? Uh, it's collectively awkward, unhelpful, and confusing. And here's the best I can make of it. It comes out of nowhere. Jesus is in hiding at this point. He, he's left his people. And nobody is described as there to hear it. And it summarizes John's key theme surrounding Jesus. So in that way, it's very helpful. We have in this very short stanza belief and John's very dense view of what belief means. We have darkness. We have light. We have the logos, the word. We have both a future and an already realized salvation in the person of Jesus. When you think about it, it is a pretty good synopsis of Jesus' key themes in the fourth gospel. But there are a couple of novelties, though, new items that aren't well represented in other places in John. One of them is the idea of judgment. Now, judgment itself is not an unusual theme. John's passion, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection, is filled with judgment against various groups, chief priests, scribes, the Jews in general. That's worth noting this last bit has proven historically problematic, as John's gospel is a frequent excuse for anti-Semitism. But the judgment here is different. Jesus states outright that he comes not to judge the world, but to save it. Now this runs counter to our hardwired belief that Jesus, that the Lamb of God, will judge us, judge us all at the end times. But here, his message is of salvation, of saving the world, and not judging it. And instead we're told, the word I have spoken will serve as judge. The word, the eternal logos, will serve as judge, not the person of Jesus. And that's hard to get your head around, but, but it reminds me of an essay by C.S. Lewis that I read in seminary and forced some folks to reread in the first year here with some of the members of the Lunchtime Book Club. It's titled The Weight of Glory. And Bonda, I don't know if you were part of that, but it got mixed reviews. I love it. And in it, Lewis, promises five, Lewis lists five promises about heaven and scripture. One, that we shall be with Christ. Two, that we shall be like him. Three, that we shall have glory. Four, that we shall in some sense be fed or feasted or entertained. And five, that we shall have some sort of official position in the universe. Which is good news, because we're not going to be bored by an eternity of harp playing and floating on clouds. So this sounds a lot more interesting. And Lewis claims that any judgment that occurs will be our own self-judgment. That in the meeting with Christ, any part of ourselves, our souls, our lives that we deem unworthy of this massive glory, it shall peel away like rust on an old fender. And what's left, if there's anything that is left, will finally be suitable for meeting Christ and being like him. I think in that way the words Jesus has spoken, the words Jesus has spoken will serve as judge. We'll strive to hold on to the parts that are redeemed worthy of glory. 
And that is, in fact, the weight of glory that we hear in the title of the essay. It's a lot of work to manage to live up to that standard. And the second interesting term in the short discourse is the use of commandment. Quote, the Father who sent me has himself, has, has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. And we're used to being commandments, being things we do to stay in right relationship to God and our neighbor. We love one another. We love God. We don't kill. We don't commit adultery. We honor our elders, etc., etc. But this commandment is very, very different. It's about salvation. Jesus is opening the door to eternal life. Now, the fancy term is realized eschatology. Jesus is making real, actually being commanded to make real, to make an eternal life a possibility starting today with those who believe. It's hard following the commandments these days. Probably always has been. But it seems like there's so much anger and division that just keeps lingering. I can't watch the news and see the Arkansas legislature that seems particularly hell-bent on pressing everyone's buttons. The national discourse remains divided and rancorous, downright evil. And especially hard to love others when they seem to despise us. But that commandment, that great commandment, in fact, still calls us, still commands us. We have to love one another. Now, this past Sunday during the Oscar telecast, a high point of an evening of speeches and tears and thank yous was Tyler Perry's accepted speech for the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award. I don't know if any of you saw it. It's a short three-minute sermon that powers past our longer attempts to preach the word. In it, he recaptures the ability to love with the simple call to, quote, refuse to hate. Refuse to hate. He tells us, my mother taught me to refuse to hate. She taught me to refuse blanket judgment. And in this time, and with all the internet and social media and algorithms and everything that wants us to think a certain way, the 24-hour news cycle, it is my hope that all of us will teach our kids not only to remember, just refuse hate. Don't hate anybody. He goes on, I refuse to hate someone because they're Mexican or because they are black or white or LGBTQ. I refuse to hate someone because they're a police officer. They have difficult lives. I refuse to hate someone because they're Asian. You can see where the list could just go on and on. And he, he finishes with, I want to take this award and dedicate it to anyone who wants to stand in the middle, no matter what's around the walls. Stand in the middle because that's where healing happens. That's where conversation happens. That's where change happens. It happens in the middle. So anyone who wants to meet me in the middle to refuse hate and to refuse blanket judgment about others, even others that we totally disagree with, and to help lift someone's feet off the ground, this one is for you too. God bless you. And I like that idea. Standing in the middle isn't a benign, useless attempt to find elusive common ground. You know, we've heard about being in the middle, the centrists and all that, and the importance of staying that. Standing in the middle is a much more intentional, moral standing. 
It is refusing to hate. In fact, it's in, to, it is insisting on loving everybody. Everybody. And that is an active, disruptive role that can change the world. Stand in the middle, refuse hate, and lift everyone up around you. That's the kind of active belief that Jesus calls us to do throughout John's Gospel. And it's the kind of belief that we need now more than ever. Refuse to hate. Stand in the middle. Love everybody. It's the kind of commandment that will lead us to eternal life. Amen.